Hello everyone, it's Friday the 28th of May and welcome to episode 57 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. It's World Milk Day on the 1st of June and so in the build-up to this we thought we'd take a look at dairy in the country that is the largest milk producer and consumer in the world, India. It's a country where things are done very differently to how we might perceive dairy usually on the show. So we're really looking forward to learning more about how things happen in India with today's guest, Prashant Tripathi, who is Director of Market Development at Solera Advisors in Germany. And he has had experience across the dairy value chain in all areas. Um, We're also joined by Kite Managing Partner, John Allen. And as always, by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, it's over to you in traditional style for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, I'm bringing you my report this week from the edge of the world. And as a member of the Flat Earth Society, I mean the edge. (laughs) That's where I live all the time with this podcast, on the edge. And I'm here because the whole world loves milk. And today we're celebrating the love of it for World Milk Day. And for last year's World Milk Day, there were 840 million SMIs. That's social media impressions for the global campaign. With India being the top country for social media activity. So well done, India. And of those 840 million impressions, 62% were positive, 36% neutral, and two and a bit percent negative. That's a total of 500 million positive impressions for milk. It sounds a lot, but this podcast team also gets 500 million impressions each week, I'll have you know. But they're not SMIs, they're BFIs. That's a Becky Foot impression. No prizes for guessing where she leaves them either. (laughs) I've done my bit for World Milk Day by doing an interview on the Voice of Islam radio about farming and cows. It was a new experience for me because they said I was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) There was also a holy man on me before and a holy man on after me. So I'm truly blessed this week as opposed to being blessed (laughs) anyway i'm going to be really quick today because we've got somebody from india on who won't argue about cricket and that'll be a first (laughs) maybe i'll get in first prashant we're gonna whip your butts this autumn don't even bother turning up i say we definitely gonna win this (laughs) (laughs) ain't got a chance anyway Uh, I'm going to start this week's report by addressing all of those people who think this Walkland bloke talks cobblers about me banging on about 30p milk prices and above. In New Zealand, Fonterra has announced an opening forecast price next year of between $7.25 and $8.75 per kilogram of solids and a midpoint of $8. In our language, that's 28p to 34p with a midpoint of 31. And it's also narrowed this year's forecast to a shade under 30p. In addition, AHDB's latest AMP is 33.2 and it's McV price 33.5. So if we take 2p off for a processor margin, you get 31p back to the farmer. 
Thus, I've been right all along, and I'm going to say that in an extra loud voice so the wife can hear, because in my house, I'm never right. (laughs) (laughs) Cue a sympathetic shout-out for Will. With six ladies in yours, you ain't ever got a chance of being right. (laughs) On the markets, it's been another decent week in Europe, with only French skim powder ruining another all-green week. Butter was up by a decent 40 euros, but that's still inflated by French butter. Without that, we're still at the 4,000 euro critical threshold, so still very good. With skim also performing well at 2,600 euros, the combination results in yet again another 30p back to the farmer. In the UK, the butter price should be creeping up, at current rates, uh, exchange rates, that is, it should be three and a half thousand sterling, but it isn't. It's stuck at three three fifty. But cream has moved up to cross the one forty per kilo threshold for the first time since March. But to compare, prices on the continent are the equivalent of one pound seventy. The futures continue to climb. Uh, for the fourth consecutive week, and they're all ahead on skim and butter uh, to the real market still. Again, 33p milk price before a margin, 31 afterwards. Mild cheddar, though, remains stuck like butter is here at 3,000 sterling. Curds not far away, so butter, uh, so ch- uh, cheddar rather, should be 3,150 sterling. It isn't, and I don't know why. And spot milk is showing some signs of coming out of its 20p slumber. I put it at 21 to 22, so a bit of an improvement there. So that's it from me. And now to our guest. And have a happy World Milk Day, wherever you are, whatever you do, so long as you drink milk, of course. Ta-ta. Thank you, Chris. John, as Chris says, it's World Milk Day next Tuesday. Why are we talking about India today? Thanks, Will. Uh, I'm, I'm being indulged by uh, Becky for this uh, edition because you remember a few weeks ago I said one of my uh, little fetishes was about how in love I was with our dairy industry. And I count myself really, really lucky to be in it. And uh, actually, I think this celebration is is going to be a great thing to think about. Uh, it's great to have Prashant on, and he can tell us all about India. I think it's the things we just don't appreciate about this industry we're in, about the family of dairy farmers that we're all part of. And I think you'll just be blown away by some of the facts and statistics. I've just come off call, by the way, uh, this morning to New Zealand. So friends over in New Zealand, what a wonderful world we live in. That I can be talking to them at 7.30 and I'm with you uh, now at 8.30. And just a few facts that Prashant will embellish. I think the uh, Indian population has grown by 400 million people in the last 25 years. The dairy consumption has doubled uh, in terms of per, per, per capita head. And uh, it's a wonderful story in India where dairy is really, truly valued. And I want to hear all about it, Prashant. Thanks, John. Um, Prashant, welcome to the show. Uh, you're born in India, but we're speaking to you today in Germany. 
can you tell us and the listeners about your story and, and how you got to where you are today? So um, I was born in India in the northern part of the country, eight, eight, eight hours away from Delhi. And um, I was born in a very remote village. Um, so bo- actually born on a farm. Um, we had 30 cows at our, our, at our farm. Okay. And that is like, I was born in 86. So that is pre, um, in pre-opening up of the market. So this is the time in, when India did, had joined the uh, WTO. And then in 1995, India joined the World Trade Organization and everything changed upside down. Um, a, lot of, um, uh, a lot of companies started coming to, the, to, to India and on, like economy boomed and we moved to the city. And with this, like we reduced our herd size because we were not requiring those animals to one animal. So actually I was living with one cow farm. Um, then um, I started, uh, I, I did, uh, my undergrad in biotechnology um, uh, from a university in Delhi, and then I joined Nestle uh, as a nutrition officer. So basically, I, this was my first interaction um, selling or being like uh, with a, a large dairy-related organization. And this is how I actually got interested into dairy. We were on a farm, but never realized because it is so much part of our life. Yeah, yeah? you don't realize you're a farmer. Yeah, it's just like a pet that you have. So yeah. this was my formal int- um, introduction into the dairy world. And I was selling infant formulas into the land that is um, in an area which is which has the least, one of the poorest uh, human development index. So very poor people. And this is where I realized like how important dairy is actually for a country like India, where you have a population that is like vegetarian and like they rely significantly on dairy for their nutrition. So, um, so with this, like actually... This also again like generated my curiosity, and then I actually contacted IFCN because I wanted to understand how what actually what actually motivates a person to sell milk or not to sell milk. What what are the economic factors that are actually ensuring that um, uh, farmers are making enough money? Why why Indian farmers are still so poor? Yeah, why are not they? Why did why don't they just add up more uh, cattle and uh, create a bigger farm? So I, it gave me an opportunity to come to Italy, talk about India, and this happened. Like, and through this, like, I came to Germany um, in 2015. I worked with my previous organization for five years. This is where I met John, and yeah, and like since we have, since then we have been connected. Um, and earlier last year, I never thought like COVID would be so long. I thought like it would be just like a six month thing. I decided to like. Um, uh, divert my um, uh, career from upstream to somewhere midstream and downstream. Uh, this is where I started working with an Indian guy who lives in US at, at who runs Solera organize, uh, Solera Advisors. Um, so what we basically do is like we provide risk management to companies and farms. So in US, um, so my partner actually happens to be married into a dairy farm, a dairy farming family, which milk more than uh, seven thousand cows in Northwest of US. So yeah, and then like this makes like um, I had interest in India, he had interest in India, and then we said, okay, why don't we work together? Yeah. And Prashant, you were telling me just to, to get the numbers in context, well and yeah. bad. Um, I think there's between 60 and 70 million dairy farms in India. So they're supporting 250 to 300 million people. Is that fair, Rasha? 
Yes. So as of now, like we are saying, like there are no concrete numbers, John. So this is where we need to realize that there's no single reality for the country. So we can say 70 million, somewhere you will find like 65 to 80 million. So let's go with 70 million. Uh, right. And then, yeah, definitely like, yeah, so many people are actually being supported by daily in one or the other way. So Prashant, can, can you tell us briefly about the religious aspect um, of cows in India and how belief shapes dairy in India? It's it's a very fundamental question. And it's, yeah, a, it's um, a big uh, one. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very big question and very, very central to a lot of things. So just to clarify to our audience, I am uh, I'm a born Hindu. I'm a practicing Hindu and I'm also a Brahmin. So um, and that means that makes me that by compulsion, I am a vegetarian as well. So we do not eat eggs or fishes or anything, but we definitely rely on milk and the uh, milk products so this is definitely allowed um cows are very central to hinduism so they are considered holy they are regarded as a mother because mm, this is the second milk that we drink of our, our mother's milk so somewhere in the past like they would have given this consideration to the animal that they should not be slaughtered um, so they are revered they are protected cows play a very central low role um uh, this also creates a lot of problem for the country um, because um, as of now, uh, there are two Indias, like there's no one reality of the country. So like there's one India that is like still very much um, fundamental uh, in their beliefs and belongings. And then there's one that is like much more progressive and they want to like, want to go ahead and like uh, they do not see um, animals or cows uh, to be uh, Playing that uh, that central role in the culture or the religion, so we have a, like a slight skirmish between these two. Uh, but still, cows are very they are revered. Um, we by law um, animals are protected because by uh, by our constitution you cannot slaughter an animal. Um, so that's why like we have this massive massive population, John. So having these three hundred million is coming because we are not allowed to cull the the cows. Can you can you tell us briefly about? Um... Uh, genetics and bringing genetics into the country um because i know certainly in, in, in the call we had before um uh you, you've certainly mentioned it in, in terms of is it bringing that in to improve efficiency so um yeah so like uh, we have like boss taurus indicus that is the indigenous animal of india so these are the cows with the hump um so the like we have a lot of varieties and but we generally call them indescript because we never had a breeding policy in place so you could just like crossbreed any animal with any so we a lot of doc animals are not even documented we have some uh, very uh, specific breeds like uh, gir and um, we have sindhis and there are few more breeds that are slightly preserved and they are they also have a high yielding rate but most of the indian non-descript animals they generally produce some somewhere around 1300 to 1500 liters of milk in a year so this is like um, the within in, uh, the breed that is like prevalent in India, but during our first um, uh, dairy development plan that we, was initiated um, in early eighties and like um, late seventies and early eighties, so one of the thing that our policymakers thought that uh, to ensure nutrition uh, for the such a like a fast growing population, um, they needed to produce more milk. And this is where they decided to um, uh, start bringing in semen and uh, start creating uh, hybrids. Um, as of now, like we have 
three major categories of animals that are prevalent in India. So we have uh, indescript or the desi animals, so the animal that belong to India. Then we have um, we we have these high um, crossbred host regions or crossbred um, jerseys. So where you have uh, been, like you have imported the semen from abroad, and then you, they have been. Um, uh, so the indigenous cattle have been impregnated with those, and then we have um, also the cattle which have been um, F one or F two generation or three generation, where they have a slightly higher genetics of a um, of, of a breed from uh, from Europe or from America. Can you tell us about um, the supply chain um, and and how it works? So um, yeah, I think like you would it's one of the things that you would not see here in Europe if you would travel to Africa or to some of the um let's say like Southeast Asia is the way you would see um uh Ben. So what we have is basically um we have small villages and every village would have a village level collection center. So if I have one cow, actually I have one cow at home now. And so whenever we utilize the milk, so whatever we could consume, we would consume it. And let's say like today we have a surplus of one liter and we would just go and pour that one liter in the village level collection center. And yeah, so just imagine um, a village level collection center could collect some somewhere around um, like 500 liters to 1000 liters. Yeah, depending on how big the village is and how many cows do they have. And once this milk is poured in the village level collection center, they are immediately um, shipped to um, uh, to uh, a center where, like, it's called the chilling center. So where all, like, from all the neighboring or the nodal villages, it's a spoke point. So all the from all the villages, you will collect all the milk, and this is brought to this center, and then it's brought put into a big chiller. So temperature is brought to a four degrees. Um, and then from there, they would be loaded into the trucks and then shipped to the um, uh, to the uh, processing units. But this is highly inefficient system. Uh, it's a highly contaminating system because just imagine I have a 10 liters of pretty high quality milk that I am pouring in my village level collection center and someone just comes with a half a liter of contaminated milk and he just pours in. So this also hampers India significantly because you are not being paid for good quality milk because everything is being mixed together. Um, most of the cooperatives, they allow this. Most of the private businesses, they allow this um, because it's, it's their mandate to collect everything that they can get. So, yeah, this is a challenging uh, value chain, but, yeah, this is how it works. Can you get, can you see it changing and adapting from now? Um, Indian government... Um, and it actually comes to a very fundamental problem. Um, we have a significant rate of unemployment in the country. So just imagine um, if these people are not doing dairy, they would look for some other jobs and then it would become a further bigger problem. So go- government tries to ensure that like they collect every bit of milk or any bit of um, commodities or agriculture produce that is being uh, cultivated just to ensure that these people, they remain in villages they start keep on doing the agriculture to prevent a fundamental problem of these people moving to cities and trying to get a formal job because they cannot ensure jobs to so many people. Let, let's let's talk about nutrition. Why is milk so important nutritionally in India? So one thing is like culturally, um, because um, like cows have been very central. Um, and it, it would have also been because like a lot of part of the lands actually like um, yeah it actually started with because like in the 
in the older days, farmers would actually relocate from one location to the other. Yeah, because and then they would do they would burn the uh, jungles and like do some cultivation. But one thing that they can always do is like move their cattle with them. And that's this also happens like still in some of the African countries where tribes when they move they move with their cattle. And that's why these animals were always with them. So dairy became like very central to our diet. Uh, though I was just surprised like we are always called that we are a country that should be completely lactose intolerant and um, I never heard of lactose intolerant until I came to Europe <laughs> like what <laughs> lactose intolerance is. <laughs> so um, so but like we eat a lot yogurt uh, a lot more uh, ghee so this is clarified butter um, we consume a lot of butter um, so yeah like and just imagine the way we cook our food everything has to be put in oil and yeah this oil comes from milk so yeah that's why like dairy plays a very fundamental role in our diet and nutrition Being- i've got to, i've got to get to the crunch question when you've just talked like that um prasha and, and mm-hmm. i'm going to put in because we've got the food summit or something coming up i think in the fao and the united nations and there's a big lobby now that we should all drop eating any animal products Yeah, we've all got to go plant-based. And this is really at a fairly high level. How would you as Indians feel about being told not to consume dairy, not to produce dairy because it's bad for the climate and the planet? Yeah, so <laughs> uh, this is like a very, very difficult question, John, because um, this this is already happening. So this this is like already happening. So we have this an institution that is like there in India that is promoting veganism, and um, they also did a lot of posters uh, during Diwali. So that is like Christmas for us uh, in India. And then they said like uh, don't consume any animal protein uh, during this Diwali. Um, I would actually say that um, for me it's very important that people are allowed to do whatever they want to do. They should have a freedom of their choice. Um, it it should be their internal calling like no one should tell you that what you should do yeah um dairy has and like i would actually ask these people why they want us to drop um uh, the um drop protein uh, animal proteins i have actually come across two kind of people one who want to drop animal protein because it's not good for environment so they are one and the other ones are like they say because um, they are not they don't uh, animal protein does not suit to their body so there are two different people yeah so one if one who says like it does not suit me it's your choice yeah because it's your body you you're not healthy with this good but the people who says um, um uh, that like it's not good for environment then what kind of so, um options they would they provide for a country like india which is already 40% deficit with its protein intake yeah and then dairy ensures that those population or the indian people they get and uh, they they get their nutrition or the protein requirement through dairy will they be able will will india be able to grow so much um, lentils or will india be able to grow uh, so much soya or whatever like which should replace dairy and this is not possible mm-hmm. then what would happen is basically you would end up importing those commodities from uh let's say latin america or us or what wherever like let's say uh, from europe or from new zealand and then again they become because they are being shipped uh, through cargoes yeah and then you're again having those kind of emissions so uh, this is my argument to those people the big question to finish what do you think that dairy in india will look like in 10 years time by by our policy you know what gandhi was very good 
but Gandhi also gave us some problems. <laughs> so Gandhi said uh, mass production happens with masses. Yeah, mm. this is what he said. Mass production happens with masses. And now a lot of like Indian cooperative and Indian cooperative system actually like find this very dear to them. And um, Indian departments, which are meant or like who are responsible for creating dairy related policies, they ensure that um, most of the policies are favoring the small and marginal farmers. So until and unless a farmer really takes risk and tries to go out on his own, uh, yeah, there are no policies supporting uh, a farmer that is 50 cow or 200 cow or let's say even bigger. So I would say in 10 years, like we would still have like something around, let's say 15 to 25 cows. This would become more prevalent. And the reason for this would be a lot of people would not like to do dairy anymore hmm. because now we have one cow and just it's, it's such a big task for my aunt to take care of that animal. But my nephews and or my cousins, they are not not ready to take that challenge because just for one cow, you cannot have machinery. Just for one cow, you do not have, you would not put a lot of infrastructure in. So a lot of people, you would, they, so like inheritance of the farm becomes a challenge. So that's how like these small farms would go out. They would be replaced by slightly mid-sized farms. So like that would be becoming 10 to 15 animal farm in India. And I would see that processing would actually take um, a leading role. So, so far, around 18 to 22% of milk is being processed in India and rest goes to the informal sector. So my parents, they do not buy a packaged milk or pasteurized milk. They actually buy milk directly from the milkman. So he milks his cows, brings it home, we boil it and we consume it. So this is how we do it. Um, but with this um, cities growing bigger, land becoming more expensive, opportunity costs going higher, these people are also vanishing very quickly very very quickly so yeah you would have farms like much more away far away from the cities but 10 to 15 cows would be something that i would actually bet on okay the big changes that's all we have time for um but a very big thank you to our guests today prashant tripati john allen and chris walkland yeah really fascinating today thank you very much for listening we'll be back next friday but for now it's goodbye from all of us here